0: Welcome and thank you for connecting with us at Parkwood Baptist Church. Here at Parkwood, we exist to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. You can find more information about our church at parkwoodonline.org. By visiting our website, you'll be able to learn more about Parkwood and our mission. Now join us as we grow together through the teaching of God's word. One year ago today, I stood in this room by myself. And what a joy it is to be here today and look at you. And to be together as God's people to sing together. And I pray we never take that for granted again in our lives. And it is with joy to worship with you today. We're in Luke chapter 5. We're actually going to look at verses 12 to 26. Uh, At the onset, I'm going to read the account of the leper being healed in 12 to 17, and then we'll move to the next section in the sermon. So Luke chapter 5, verse 12, invites you to stand as we acknowledge, as an act of worship, this is the Word of God. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places And pray. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now as we take up your holy word that you would speak through me and to your people and to those who have gathered here. Holy Spirit, make the word clear to us. Make me clear as I preach. Make it clear and understanding to those who hear and receive and lead us to right application and action as a result of that which we hear and receive today. In Jesus name. Amen. Be seated. In light of the age in which we live, I am about to make a bold claim that is in direct opposition to the world around us. It's simply this. Jesus Christ has the power to heal and the authority to forgive sins. For those of you who've grown up in church and been around the preaching of God's Word and the teaching of the Bible, you could read that sentence as a simple sentence and say, okay, well, I've heard this before. Here we go again. I want you to notice a couple of things about my statement. First, Jesus Christ has, not had, this it's not something that was true of Jesus two, cent, two millennia ago, that 2,000 years ago he had the power to heal and the authority to forgive sins. Jesus Christ has the authority, the power to heal and the authority to forgive sins. And we would live in a world when we would make a statement that Christ has the power to heal sickness and disease. We'd say follow the science. You live in such a scientific world to hear a miraculous claim that Christ can heal sickness and disease goes against the very way people think and operate today. And then the statement, Christ has the power and authority to forgive sins. It begs this question, is that even necessary? Or do people actually sin? This is what the world you live in believes. The world you live in believes people are good. The reason people do bad is because bad things have been done to those people and it has affected their psychology. And if we'll just get them the right psychologized way of thinking, we'll all live in utopia. But then we have these claims of the scripture. Of sin, So let me define it, what I mean by the word sin. It's any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Now I can keep pursuing questions because now I've made an assumption that there is a moral law from God. That there is a God. And you can't assume these things anymore. You can't assume that that people are talking about what you're talking about. So today in the 21st century in this world, I come to proclaim to you that Jesus Christ has the power to heal. And the way we know this is what has been recorded in the scripture and what has been experienced in life but let's focus here on what's been recorded. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now, leprosy is a, an incurable, dreadful disease. And the scripture, when it uses the word leprosy, it means any skin disease primarily, but in this instance, Luke is making sure you understand this man's covered, he's full of it. It is a dreadful disease has spots and boils all over someone's body that Gradually begin to spread more and more and eventually penetrate down in through the skin, and it causes tremendous pain and affliction to the person. It works its way from extremities, and eventually, people's fingers begin to fall off their toes and their feet. This was such a feared and dreaded disease that people who had leprosy had to live alone. They were not allowed to be around other people. In Leviticus chapter 13, very specific instructions, actually two chapters of Leviticus are dedicated to the disease of leprosy. Here the instruction is, the leprous person who has the disease will wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. In other words, they're to look disheveled on purpose. The way they look is to alert you there's something wrong with them. They'll cover their upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. So whenever they got around people, they had to announce that they were unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. That means this. These individuals could not work. They were completely dependent on the charity of others. If people did not leave them something to eat and to drink, they literally would starve to death. So you have this man who's full of leprosy. It says, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his feet and begged him. Now I've got to assume that as this man approached this crowd, he had to announce he was unclean, but he has the boldness and the humility here to come and fall on his face before Jesus and beg him, Lord, if you will make me clean, you can make me clean. He doesn't ask, can you make me clean? He asks, will you? It's not whether is Jesus capable. It is whether Jesus is willing. So Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him. Now here we see the compassion and the boldness of Jesus. Now there are, there are people in the world at this point in time, you didn't touch. You did not touch a leper. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. Now we're now scared to death of each other. I, I, this is one of, the, one of the things that really bothered me about COVID. I know it is a dangerous and deadly disease, but we're acting like people have leprosy. We're scared to death of each other, and, and, and it's going to take us a while to work our way out of this, but we're going to have to. We're God's people. I remember in the mid 90s, the first time I met a man with AIDS, he was in downtown Gastonia, he was homeless we were down there with the students feeding people. And as he began to tell me his story about how he couldn't work, nobody would let him live with him. This was when the very beginning of the disease. And he began to cry. And this, this text came to my mind and I just grabbed the man and hugged him. At that point, I didn't know, would his tears give me AIDS? I just said, I'm just gonna trust God and show this human being love. It's what Jesus does. He, he loves Legalists, though, are concerned with not touching. I just made myself unclean if I do that. But Jesus Christ cares about the sick and the sin sick, and he risked contact by bringing them healing. And he says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So here's the power of the Savior Jesus Christ. Instead of the unclean making him unclean, the clean man, who is Jesus, makes the unclean man clean. That's the power of the gospel. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Now, this is not just a moment of healing. This is a life-altering moment for the rest of this man's life. I think of the gospel song, He Touched Me. Oh, what joy that floods my soul, is the line in that song. Think of the joy that floods this man's soul as he knows his life has changed. Jesus charges him to tell no one, to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus here is concerned that this man is able to re-enter society. And for him to do that, he had to follow the law. This is what Leviticus also commanded. He had to go to the priest and the priest had to declare the man clean. This was a week-long process that involved, as Jesus says, making an offering for his cleansing. In verse 15, it says, Now, even more, and as a result of what just happened with this leprous man, even more, the report about him went abroad. So it went beyond this town. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Now Mark, in explaining this account, Mark one forty-five, he says he went out, and he's talking about the leper here, and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So you see Mark alluding to the fact Jesus moving out to these desolate places. Luke defines it in verse 16, that he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, what was happening is the people would go out there and find him in these places that he would retreat to prayer. Now, that is not that Jesus lived a monastic life that he hid from people. Jesus had a very public ministry, and it was a necessary public ministry, but it was fueled by his withdrawal to these places of solitude and prayer. He would give himself to these regular intensive prayer times, spending hours with the Father. Now, what this did is it prepared him to do these moments of healing, but also, and you're going to find this now with Luke, it was moments to prepare him for conflict. This is going to be the first time Jesus comes into conflict with the religious leaders. But in that, we see that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. So let me read verse 17 to 26 in its entirety so we get the whole picture. On one of those days he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed, through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when they, he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with all saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So let's go back up at the beginning. Verse 17, you got Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, I think mainly people know that When you read the Bible and you see Pharisees, that's a pretty negative thing. So let me explain who they are for just a few minutes. They are lay people. They're not professional clergy. They were members of synagogues. They were committed to understanding the scripture and to practically living out how they could remain faithful to God's covenant. Now, numerically, in the first century, Pharisees was a relatively small group of people. It only made up about 6,000 people. But in the Gospels, these people have massive influence. And I've said this before. Baptists would have loved the Pharisees. And I don't mean that facetious. These were Bible-minded people. The problem with the Pharisee is they saw salvation in morality. And, and, and sadly, you see this in Baptist churches in this part of the country where people believe morality is what saves you, not Jesus. Now, the scribes are a different group of people. They are professionals. They were professors, teachers, civil lawyers. They interpreted the law of God for the people. They had tremendous influence. And when Jesus talks about people seated at the head of the synagogue, he's talking about the scribes. When they walked into a synagogue, whether they were there from that synagogue or not, they were ushered to the front and seated at the front. So you have these two influential groups who are there listening to Jesus and don't think for a moment they came to receive. They are there to be critical of what is transpiring and what they are hearing. Now, Luke gives you one more thing. He sets the stage. You can see this tension beginning, but he says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So the Lord had been prepared. The Lord Jesus had been prepared in these desolate places in prayer for this conflict that's coming, and he's prepared that the power is with him to heal. So, verse 18. Some men were bringing a man a bed, on a bed, a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding nowhere to bring him because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Now I've heard multiple sermons on this text in my life. Most of the sermons I've ever heard have to do with the faith of the friends. That's not the point of the text. It's not. The point of the text is that Jesus forgives sins. Now, we do want to look here briefly at a moment to say there is the faith of them. He saw their faith. That includes the friends. I also think it includes the man on the bed. If you've ever been around somebody who's paralyzed, they don't just implicitly trust you to move them around. And I, would, I don't know a paralyzed person that would let me cut a hole in the roof today and lower them down here. That took tremendous faith on behalf of everybody and to what they were doing at this moment but Jesus doesn't address all of them it says he saw their faith but he addresses the man and he says man your sins are forgiven you now immediately the Pharisees and the scribes begin to mutter with each other who is this who speaks blasphemies and this is ultimately what's going to get Jesus killed blasphemy That's what he's being accused of. So who is that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know what? They're right. They're 100% right. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before them and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and and transgression and sin. I just love love how redundant the scripture is there in defining sin in three different ways. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sins. For he will by no means clear the guilty. It is God alone who forgives. You can't clear your own name. There's not something that you can do for yourself. So who can forgive sins but God alone? So Jesus perceived their thoughts. He understands what they're thinking. He doesn't overtly hear them. I don't know what you're thinking when I'm preaching, but Jesus does. And he knew when he was teaching or preaching what people were thinking. And so he answered, why do you question in your hearts? So which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. Now, the, he does not mean here that one is easier than the other. What he's saying is these two things are connected. So it's a riddle. And and, and, and the riddle is to confirm and to reveal his fundamental claim of divine authority. So the logic of the question is easy to follow. It's easy. It is easier to say something that cannot be visually verified than to say something that can be visually substantiated. So he says, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, you got to not miss what he just said. He just called himself the son of man. Now, I don't have time to go over there and look, but you can write in the margin of your notes there Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The Son of Man is the promised one who is coming in all of his glory. And Jesus refers to himself here as the Son of Man. This is the first time he does it. He'll do it 26 more times in the Gospel of Luke alone. So, this is a term of authority. That's why he says the son of man has authority. He has authority because he is the son of man on earth to forgive sins. Now he's about to make it plain to everybody who's present. So so that you may know this, that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the man who's paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. So Jesus reveals that he is the Son of Man and that he has the power and authority to heal and forgive sins. Immediately the man rises up, picks up his bed that he'd been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. Now think about this. This man comes in being carried on a bed, and he leaves carrying the very bed that was carrying him. He's utterly and completely healed of his paralysis. He no longer requires for someone to carry him. And he leaves, he goes home glorifying God. But that's not it. In verse 26, it says, amazement sees them all. All would include who? The Pharisees and the scribes. Amazement seizes them all. And they glorified God and they're filled with all, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. It could be translated, we have seen strange things today. This word appears only here in the New Testament. It refers to something that's unexpected, unbelievable, something that we would use the word amazing or awesome. The Pharisees didn't expect this. They didn't expect to come and see this kind of demonstration of power. They just expected to come and hear him speak and to heal a few sick people. But here they see this demonstration about Jesus And the evidence before them is undeniable. And they're awestruck. In Mark chapter 2, verse 12, Mark gives you a little more perspective from the man. It says, he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. And they were amazed and glorifying God, saying, (laughs) this sounds like Gastonia. We never saw anything like this. That's literally the way the ESV translated. Now, if you're really going to translate it, Gastonia, you translate it this way, we ain't never seen anything like this. So the paralyzed man's not the only one impacted by it. They all are. Now, I want to ask the so-what question, and then I want to explain myself a little bit. Am I glorifying God and filled with all because of the extraordinary truth of his forgiveness of my sins? Now, I'm assuming something, that you've already answered this question, that that you are trusting in Christ to forgive you of your sins, that you believe you're a sinner and that you need forgiveness and that Christ alone can give that to you. What I'm getting to is the evidence in you that that has happened. So I ask it again. Am I glorifying God and filled with all because of the extraordinary truth of his forgiveness of my sins? Every human being at some point in time is gonna be weighed down with some kind of physical illness. And when those physical illnesses come, they quite often dominate our concern of life. They dominate our prayer life, our desire to be healed. And, and God does heal sin. I mean, heal Disease, I I believe that, I have witnessed that, I have seen that. But not everybody in this room today has a physical illness. But every one of you, every one of us share the problem of sin. Sin cannot be dismissed. If sin can be dismissed, then Jesus Christ died in vain. If sin can be dismissed, this is what I don't understand about modern people who claim to be Christians and deny sin. Why would you claim Christianity at all? Christianity is centered on the fact that Christ came, died a horrific death on Calvary, not just simply physically suffering, but as our substitute, dying in our place, taking the wrath of God for our sins. So when we look at things from the perspective of the cross, here's what we see, that the forgiveness of sins is the hardest thing ever accomplished because it cost the Son of God his life. It had to be this way. And Christ willingly laid down his life for us in our place. And I say to you clearly today, Jesus Christ willingly forgives. That when we look to Christ, trusting his saving work by faith, when we cry out to him for salvation, he is willing. He touches us to the depths of our being and saves our soul. Now, how, you say, how, how do you know this? Because the Bible says clearly For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. From what? Sin and judgment. Don't miss it. The judgment has been paid through Christ as he bore our wrath on the cross. Now, those who are touched by him Those who are saved by him, who trust in Christ alone, can say with David in Psalm 103, bless the Lord. I want you to turn there with me. This is a beautiful text of the understanding of forgiveness that puts a song in our mouth that never leaves. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives our iniqui- all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So brothers and sisters, in Christ, and in Christ alone, we have the forgiveness of our sin. We are redeemed. We are bought back. We are purchased from the pit of death. We now have been given the steadfast mercy of God. He has crowned our life with it. He satisfies us. He renews us. So when Jesus says to us, figuratively, take up your mat and go forward, go home, we go home in new life glorifying God. This is how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 6 verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. It doesn't mean water baptism. It means being immersed with Christ into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. In two weeks, we will celebrate the world-changing event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that forgives you of your sins and raises you to new life. So when Christ comes into our lives, we are given the power and the desire to walk in the newness of life. So let me just continue the metaphor The mat no longer defines you. I am so burdened and so wearied by people who claim to be followers of Jesus who are still allowing and believing that sin still defines them. Your sin is forgiven. It has been washed away. Jesus says, take up your mat and go home. Press on in the newness of life. We should go about our lives living, walking in this newness of life and glorifying God. The language of the believer should be, bless the Lord, all my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Or... In the modern version, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, what joy has flood my soul. Let's pray. Lord, I plead for the man or woman here who has no hope for whatever reason that they see no means of hope May they look to Christ, the willing Savior, who is willing to save. May they cry to him today and say to him that they believe that he and he alone, through the power of the cross and the resurrection, can save. They confess our sins and trust in Christ. For those who have, may they be reminded today that you have put a new song in their mouth. A song unto our God that many will see and hear and trust the Lord. May we be a people who are glorifying you, who are living and walking in the newness of life. So, Lord, I pray now together, your people, that we would declare to you that you and you alone have paid it all. And you and you alone save. We pray this in Jesus name.